Magic.me is the world's greatest school for magic, meditation, and mysticism. You can learn everything there from chaos magic to hermeticism to meditation to how to supercharge your finances and take absolute control of your destiny. In short, you get all of the tools you need to turn chaos into beautiful, scintillating order and master your life. It's incredible. You've probably heard me talk about it on the show quite a lot, but check it out. It's growing fast. And I just want to say, if you're confused about where to start, because I have so many courses there, the Adept Initiative is the place to go. The Adept Initiative is the flagship course on magic.me, and it contains everything you need to know to master the most profound ancient techniques of changing your consciousness and the most modern and cutting edge tools and systems for absolutely turning your life into a masterpiece. You are really going to dig it. Go check it out, and I will see you in class. It's magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. Welcome back to the podcast. It's always a pleasure to have you on, and I think this is your third visit. Um, so. but for those who have not, maybe not caught up on the other episodes, which they, you should definitely listen to the other ones. Why don't you let people know a little bit about yourself, your books and your background? Oh, yeah. Well, my last two books are the path of the warrior mystic being a man in an age of chaos and, uh, the three stages of initiatic spirituality, craftsman, warrior, magician. And I wrote a few histories of Freemasonry prior to that. And uh, I've been involved in the esoteric and related fields, uh, martial arts for a few decades. Uh, and I grew up in England, but I, I've lived in New York and USA for most of the last 25 years. Uh, gotcha. Okay. And we were bouncing ideas back and forth about what to talk about before the podcast. But you mentioned yeah. your involvement in one of the most infamous occult events <laughs> of the 20th century, the Ice Magic yeah. Wars. And I can't resist asking you about this. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I will, I will tread a little carefully because, you know, I saw things and heard things and were, and were told things that aren't really public. But, you know, and I, I, sh I probably should respect people's privacy. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I joined um, I joined when I was 19, uh, which would have been around 1980. And um, it was pretty much soon after that that it all, um, that it all started. Actually, in fact, I think it might even have been begun uh, before I joined. And then I sort of found out a little bit later on. And what, uh, there may what, have been just, some. just for the audience, what what was it that you joined? Since we probably aren't getting oh, sorry. the early the, the pre pre podcast conversation. Yeah, sorry, that was very obscure. So I joined the Illuminates of Thanatos when I was nineteen, which was which was I mean it's, it is still going, I suppose. But um, Peter Carroll, founder and the author of uh, Lebanon Psychonaut, uh, among other books. Um, uh, yeah, he hasn't been involved in the Illuminates of Thanatos for years. I think he left about four years after I left. Uh, I was only involved with it for a year, for a year, maybe a little more than a year. But, uh, you know, for those who don't know, it's a chaos magic order. I'm really the sort of premier chaos magic order. And at the time, you know, I would say, um, at least when Peter Carroll was involved, that, uh, you know, it was a kind of creative endeavor, um, lots of experimentation, you know, some emphasis on art, 
Um, Ian Reid was the head of the temple. I, I belong to his involvement is well known. Um, but he's also he was also the editor of Chaos International at the time. Uh, I published a couple of uh, illustrations in Chaos International under a pseudonym, which I will not mention. But um, yeah, it's a, it was a kind of crazy time. Uh, you know, another person who was, was in the temple who's also known to be a member, Nick Hall, you know, would stay over at his uh, apartment and he would come over and stay at mine. But uh, yeah, so yeah, we, we, it was a very transient lifestyle, which I think sort of added to the atmosphere of this sort of weird sort of feeling of being under siege. And um, for those who don't know what the Ice Magic War is, a sort of conflict between um, not all members of uh, the English IoT and the German IoT, but, but certainly um, some pretty significant members and several members of the IoT in, in those countries anyway. So and it, and it, it really was a, a time of extraordinary paranoia, you know, I feel looking back on it, and that was partly because um, it was also a time of uh, the, the first Gulf War, if I remember correctly. And, um, you know, so there was a, a sense of being under siege anyway, with this sort of looming war with sort of biblical biblical symbolism of, you know, the beast of Babylon behind it. And, um, you know, I would say as well that a lot of that symbolism just seemed to come up in the IoT, and there were lots of coincidences that, that would make one paranoid. But, um, yeah, it was sort of an interesting time. Other than that, you know, it was um, uh, creative and unusual. And, you know, it was probably good to do it at 19 and not 29 <laughs> or, or 39. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I also was in the IoT for seven years. Yeah. And uh, from the age of about 17, 18 to 26. Yeah, wow. And ended up running their their you know, was in, in charge of the temple in New York and, and, uh, during, oh, wow. during the mid two thousands, I was magister Templi of, of, uh, the New York temple, which I started with, uh, you know, my other friends in, in the, in the pack there. I don't talk yeah. about that basically ever, yeah. uh, largely because I'm not in it anymore. I also, you know, I don't want to violate people's privacy. The group is, sure. I think, rightfully private. It's nice to have things, off the internet, you know, not open to the public. Yeah. Uh, I, and also, I also don't know where the group is now. I mean, I, 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 you know, I don't want everyone banging down the doors to it or something. Cause I have no idea who they are or where they're <laughs> at now. I just, I haven't yeah. been involved since the mid two thousands. Um, but I, right. I do credit it as the IOT for me was, I suppose, as important. It was like my primary initiatory matrix. It was as, it was the, um, how do I want to put it? I was very, very, very active in it and, you know, met everyone in the U S met everyone in the UK, met quite a few of the people from Germany who came over to the yeah. UK. Um, although this was a different era, I think at the, the era yeah. that, that you're talking about, there was an American section, but it was like Doug Grant who right. later, later commits suicide, unfortunately. Oh, wow. Um, oh, I, I apologize. I didn't know you didn't know that. I don't know if you've met no, him. No, I mean I don't. I don't actually know who he was, but that's kind of horrible. He was the first. He was the first IoT person in the U.S. and he ran an art gallery called Parahelion in Phoenix, Arizona, which may still wow. be there. Uh, and yeah. he also ran Dagon Productions. If you remember that publishing company, I um, don't actually. But uh, anyways, uh, that was in the '90s. I was in much later. I mean, late, yeah. late nineties, starting in the late nineties, I do feel like it played the same role in my life as I suppose, like the golden Dawn did in 
Crowley's or Dion Fortune. Right. And as much sure. as I, it's the matrix with which I went yeah. from non-initiated into expressing myself as an, an initiated person and went yeah. through all those, you know, trials and experiences over seven years and, and you yeah. know, abysses and all of that. So. Yeah. That's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, just giving some context there, but I think that one thing that I want to zero in on in terms of this story um, is what was chaos magic at the time? Meaning how did Peter Carroll yeah. define it? Because chaos magic now is kind of a meaningless term. Right. Um, it really is. And it, yeah. even when I was involved, it was kind of meaningless outside of um, yeah. the IOT. And I think that uh, it would be the same as like, you know, people actually going through the system of the golden dawn with lots of other people and initiations and things like that versus people, mm -hmm you know, doing a, an LBRP or getting a few correspondences out of a Llewellyn book or something like that. Right. So yeah. people have this idea of chaos magic, like, Oh, sigils. And they have the idea of chaos magic they have yeah. is from later people that popularized it in the late nineties. But chaos mm -hmm. magic in my experience, certainly within that group and in the early nineties was a totally different thing. Mm. So, uh, and it may have been different in my era and yours, particularly being around yeah. Peter Carroll. So that I'm, that yeah. I think we should maybe just define up front and give your thoughts on, on yeah, that definitely. context. I, think I only met Peter Carroll a couple of times and I spoke to him on the phone a couple of times. He actually initiated me, not, not in London, not because um, he came down to initiate me because I was so important, but because just by coincidence, he happened to be visiting that month. So. So that was that was kind of cool, but um, yeah. So uh, I, I don't know what he would have thought chaos magic would be, since I only had contacts with him a few times. But but I would say within the the only London temple at that time, um, it wasn't really a sort of uh, there wasn't really any emphasis on science, such as as you really found with Peter Carroll, at least in some of his books. And there, there was one member who was you know, uh, talked about doing, you know, magic through computers and this sort of thing, but that wasn't really an emphasis. It seemed to be mostly that the individuals were sort of interested in, um, you know, sort of uh, Crowley, uh, the runes, um, and sort of grimoire. One of the, Nicole was probably more into sort of grimoire, uh, maybe not grimoire magic, but sort of grimoire aesthetic. And I think I think really the only thing that bound the group together was a sort of aesthetic and a sense of foreboding and a sense that we're in kind of Ragnarok or something like that. Maybe not in the, in that term, but I think that was it. Um, yeah, there wasn't really any, uh, there wasn't really a, a, a structure as such. Uh, you know, any any member of the temple could come and bring rituals and experiment. I think the idea was more that. Well, we're we're experts, and we're bringing our expertise to kind of learn more from each other. Um, if there was any kind of practical emphasis, it was probably um, sort of entering trance states. I think that was uh, something that was important. But uh, yeah, otherwise, I wouldn't. Uh, there was not really a, a structure as such. There. Right. Um, one thing that I heard from Donald Michael Craig before he died, which you may have a. Uh, perspective on this 
is this may or may not be true. I have no way of, of checking this unless you happen to know anything about it. There was, you know, in the seventies, the very, you know, infamous kind of people clustered around that occult bookshop in Leeds that led to kind of right. the, the, or the sorcerer's apprentice that led to the kind of yeah. birth of chaos magic. And Don Craig told me that their Peter Carroll and the rest of them, their primary in, in initiator was Amato Crowley who really yes i can tell that you know who this is from the tone of your voice and for those who don't because no one remembers this person he was kind of this guy in england that was constantly publishing these loony books saying that he was the son of alistair crowley and don craig said that the reason that peter carroll came up with chaos magic is they couldn't find anyone to actually initiate them into into thelemic magic so they just ended up kind of doing their own thing that may or may Mm -hmm. not be true I have no idea. Yeah, it sounds suspicious because one of the one of the the old, well, in fact, the oldest member, at least in terms of his age, in the London Temple, had been uh, a member of the OTOs. Okay, uh, I think for a few years as well. So, and I I don't think he was the only former member of the OTO in the IOT. So, uh, the Ordo Templi Orientis being the the group associated with Crowley, but. um, so that that sounds kind of suspicious okay. to me. I could be wrong. But, it uh, seemed, but it, it seemed, sounds you weird. Know, it, it did sound weird to me as well. But maybe, yeah. maybe there's there's some missing context there, or maybe it was over overstated. But yeah. apparently they were in contact with Amato Crowley, which I thought was hilarious. If it is true, yeah. yeah. Although as you know, you know, it's kind of a small world, right, where everybody kind of knows everybody in those mm-hmm. circles, for sure. Um, yeah. so then this, this, this event, the ice magic wars, which sounds, um, like a Dungeons and Dragons game gone bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, is, it does not sound like, you know, well-balanced people. Uh, but this no. was, this was, I think fairly critical for, uh, it's certainly important for occult history. So what yeah, went down? That's right. Yeah. I wasn't really, I wasn't really directly involved in doing anything. Uh, I mean, maybe I was in the sense that they were, you know, from my recollection that there may have been one or two things that the temple did sort of magically or whatever, but, um, you know, when we met, but uh, other than that, I didn't really have much involvement in it. Um, I'm I'm not going to say any names or give too many details, but it was, it, it created some upheaval in regard to the structure as a couple of members left, uh, to go and study ice magic and then returned about six weeks later and they'd given up their apartment and their lives were kind of really an upheaval over that because they'd gone, you know, ostensibly forever and then returned and, uh, and, and, and didn't have very many, uh, we didn't have any nice things to say about ice magic. I, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't know the other side of course, but, uh, so the main thing I would say was it just sort of chaos caused chaos in, in the, um, in the sort of running of things and, you know, respect for people and, and the kind of hierarchy but yeah, as for actual doing sort of black magic or anything, I didn't really see very much of that. I mean, there was there was a little bit, I'm sure, but uh, nothing, uh, no, nothing that I really, um, nothing really outrageous. Anyway, let's okay. put it that way. The way that I interpreted the story, at least you know, hearing it secondhand, was that kind of there was this, you know, there was the the English chaos magic scene, and then people kind of went over to Germany to meet acquaintances specifically uh ralph tegmeyer 
and uh, yeah. or Fra- we should call him Frater UD, or as he's known yeah. in German, uh, Frater VD, which did not translate writing books about no, sex that's, magic. That doesn't translate well now. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it was interesting because when I, when I was in Germany in the mid two thousands, like his books were everywhere, and every oh, really? like he was like he's like the guy. In, yeah. in Germany, it's like like the bookshelves are just stuffed with with you know books in German by him, wow. which was interesting. He gave me a blurb actually for my I think it was the last one or the one before that, the other one before that. So you know that's great. I would look actually love to have him me. on the podcast. He's now like a like a yeah. He's just kind of like you know this kind of affable boomer SEO consultant that like you know consults with <laughs> German companies on their their search engine rankings. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's a, he's an interesting guy. I mean, I've heard him in interview, you know, uh, and he'll talk about the ice magic a little bit. But uh, yeah, he's certainly very interesting, and he's done, he's, uh, magically or in, in terms of the occult world, he's you know done a lot. That's for sure. So yeah, and I think that, know, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, certainly his book Sigil Magic was like really big, really big at the time. Yeah. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. practical social magic. But I was shocked mm-hmm. when I was in Germany. It's like I think he's a way bigger deal there, just because he's written like mm-hmm. twenty books yeah. or something over there that haven't been translated, and they're yeah. fairly ubiquitous. Um, so, and I believe he's a member of the Fraternitas Saturni and yeah, like, all this other right. stuff. But what my kind of secondhand take on it was that he apparently got involved in the orbit of you know some type of guru figure, and then right, kind of yeah. just people went over to learn from this guy and it turned into a cult situation really right. quickly. And then apparently there was some like Nazi thing going on, uh, <laughs> underneath the surface. Like they were kind of like, you know, they were connected with German right wing groups. This is all secondhand. Yeah. I have no idea. This is not, yeah. this is all alleged. Cause I literally have no idea. So. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, one or two members of the group were, and I wouldn't say, uh, I'm not going to say Nazi-ish, but definitely, let's say, a traditionalist with a capital T. But, you know, and I think that was very much in keeping with this sort of like, it's the end of the, the end of an era, the end of the aeon, you know, Ragnarok is upon us, this sort of, this sort of aesthetic. But um, yeah, I don't, so I, I don't know if that's true. It might be true, but it might also be that it was kind of um, exploiting uh you know, exaggerating, uh, you know, certain tendencies of people within the IoT who are favorable to it uh, from the English branch. So I'm not, I'm not really sure if that's true or not. But uh, so I can tell you that the people that went out there definitely had the experience, uh, told me that it was a sort of guru. Um, I mean, they described it as like brainwashing. Hmm. But, uh, but, you know, I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't there. <clears throat> I don't have any first-hand knowledge of it. And who exactly? So, so there was, if I'm correct, in that there was some type of guru figure that that Frater VD had got. Uh, yeah, kind of wrapped some kind up of martial artist. Who, yeah. So who who was this guy? That's never been talked about. Yeah, I think his name is public, but I I forget what it is actually. But who was was he like? You know, just kind of like a paranoid schizophrenic person? Was he? I don't, what was yeah, his deal? I don't know. Like, yeah. I don't know. And I'm not sure if there was anything real behind it or not. I actually, I know that the uh, Ferrari UD's book on uh, ice magic is, is going to be released by Theon Books at some point, I think next oh. year. So oh, that'll be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I'm, I'm definitely going to buy it. I want to see what it was all about. But uh, and, and what what was ice magic? I mean, it sounds it sounds like something from a video game. It yeah, sounds like so yeah. like ridiculous and juvenile, but clearly yeah, people I, were like taken by it. Like, I mean, not that chaos magic doesn't sound silly or magic, right. period. 
but um, clearly people were just fixated on it as if it was like the next yeah. big thing. And so what exactly was it or yeah, what, never, what claims well, were people making? Yeah. So I, I don't really know. Um, the only thing that, that was sent to me was it was the people that went out there to study that it was, they were made to do lots of really bizarre exercises, like pressing your thumb and thumb and index finger together very gently for sort of like hours on end and this kind of thing. And, just really, really weird um, things that didn't really seem to be anything to do with magic. Um, it seemed to be more to do with sort of mental control or something like that. But they, but they described it as you know, brainwashing. I don't know how true that is, obviously. So, mm. but um, yeah, I mean, I think I believe and this isn't something I knew at the time. I think I actually heard Frada UD mention this, but I could be wrong. But um, I think I heard him mention that it, it came from um, the ice rune. So I think there may be some sort of like northern, northern sort of association with it, but that that doesn't necessarily make it Nazi-ish. I mean, right? Frodo UD is um, certainly very left-wing, if anything. So yeah, yeah, he just seems kind of like a affable, you know, left-wing boomer. Yeah, yeah def definitely. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, I, I I really don't think at the time he would have involved himself with anything right-wing. Um, I mean, I could be wrong, but it didn't seem to be in keeping with uh, what he was doing at that time. So I would, I would be surprised. So what was the war component? I mean, like I remember reading in one of Peter Carroll's books, he's writing something about like going over there with his best magic dagger in his in his rucksack, and in, he 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 called my uh, my first book not you know a a. a a sow's ear made out of a silk purse of chaos magic or something like that he referred to oh, really? me, yeah he referred to me as he referred to the people in my first book and myself as permanently deranged he was like this isn't chaos magic this is permanent derangement and i loved that so if he's listening thank you that's like the best endorsement <laughs> ever uh, <laughs> oh boy permanent i'm i am yeah permanently deranged uh so anyways wow. what what was that uh what was that all yeah, about? Yeah, so I didn't really, I mean, I think when um, they actually physically, uh, you know, met in Austria, so, you know, some British members had gone out there, but I think that was before I joined, I think. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I don't think it was while I, while I was a member, actually. But um, yeah, so I don't really know about all that kind of practical stuff. It was a little bit hush-hush. So. Hmm. Well, maybe there's a broader conversation to be had here because there's something about magical groups that they quite often end up like this. Obviously, there's clear parallels yeah. with the fall of the Isis Urania Temple, the Golden Dawn, with yeah, Crowley. Yeah. And that sounded ridiculous as well. Like Crowley right. is showing up with a mask on in a, in a, in a full Scottish uh, you know, kit. And uh, <laughs> yeah. it's just like ridiculousness. So... I think a more interesting question than why does that happen? Because I mean, like, look, magical orders can be, I think, in my opinion, can be very important for um, mm -hmm. some people, particularly when they're young, when they're trying to, you know, find their identity early 20s. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like they, they really do accelerate people's progress, but it's maybe not yeah. so much from any magical system, but the fact that you're just around so many intensely uh, yeah, focused and right. creative people. And yeah. So, you know, and, and clearly, you know, like Temple of Psychic Youth fell, uh, fell apart in the 1990 right. or whenever it was. And it just seems to, you know, these groups seem to run their course. Um, yes. There's a broader yeah. question there, though, which is, you know, for I, most of the people listening, this have never and probably will never have um, experience of magical orders, which is fine. 
but um, I, I envy that sometimes, but because um, I can't get those years back. But, um, right. you know, it's now, you know, what, 20, 30 years later, it's like and yeah. going through life, you know, how do you see like the con the concept of initiation, right? It's like, how do you see initiation as a process and as a thing now versus being in a magical group where you're just being given titles and going through yeah. rituals and it's kind of this performative thing? Yeah, good question. Well, um, just touching upon something that you said a minute ago before that. Um, yeah, I, in the in the temple I belong to, I think there were eight of us. Uh, there may have been, yeah, I think there were eight and one of them was not particularly active just for a few months. And uh, I think seven of us, uh, two two were well-known avant-garde musicians. Uh, and I think the other, the four of us became authors and the other person was a translator of, of a, a well-known book on sigil magic. So, so, you know, when you, when you think about that, that's kind of remarkable, right? You get eight people together and seven of them, them do something interesting, whether that's uh, becoming an author or, or a musician or something like that. And I think that that was, you know, very much like the golden dawn as well, that you had these mm -hmm. really interesting creative individuals involved in the original golden dawn. And um, whether it's like that today, I'm sort of probably not my suspicious, my suspicions. So, yeah, I think, you know, these these things do kind of come and go and there's only a moment for them, really. Um, you know, I, I would I would doubt that the IoT is is really reflective of uh, uh, now uh, of what it was 30 years ago. Mm when you did have these really interesting creative people. And I think, you know, it being before the Internet as well, um, it's sort of guaranteed that you would only really get interesting people because, you know, you had to find out about that group, which meant you had to find out about an occult bookshop. Then you had to read through occult publications and then you had to write to them, you know, write to an order and then wait, wait until you got um, uh, a, a response and then maybe you would get an invitation to go and see them. And it could be, you know, a year long process just to join an order, you know, mm. whereas now it's probably a couple of months max and you probably get an email back a couple of days later. And I think, you know, that the fact that it was just much harder to find meant that the people involved in these things uh, were generally much more interesting. And, um, you know, people think of the IoT and the OTO and the Golden Dawn as sort of huge and you can buy, you know, books about them in most occult bookshops, you know, all over the Western world. But at the same time, the membership is very small of these organizations. I mean, I would doubt that the the IoT had a membership of more than about twenty five people when I was in it. Probably it, less than that. It was it was significantly larger when I was in it, but um, oh really? Because yeah. because it had become international, but it was still not. Yeah, big. it was still not big. Yeah, well, actually, there was a there was a group in California as well, so that that might have doubled the size. But I, I think that was Doug Grant. I think that was Doug Grant, by the way. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, what is initiation as opposed to uh, being involved with a magical group? Well, yeah, good question. So yeah, well, initiation, of course, um, 
well, it usually involves a, a ritual, or let's say traditionally involves some kind of ritual of initiation. And uh, very often, of course, that's been a, an initiation into, you know, manhood or womanhood and mysteries of you know, mysteries associated with uh, being a man or a woman has, uh, you know, been a part of that, if not a substantial part of the initiation. Um, you know, so for example, the Maasai tribe of, you know, Africa or, um, I put the sort of boys who are becoming men through an initiation of circumcision without any sort of anesthetic, but then they will wear particular clothes after that and whiten their faces as if they are ghosts and this kind of thing. Yeah, so, just to interject, a guy who used to work for me, um, who grew up in the Philippines, said they do that as well. And he did oh, it. Yeah. They, they hold them down and do circumcision without anesthetic. But the catch is if you, you know, flinch or yeah. cry out even once, yeah. you are permanently shamed by yeah, the, by right. the culture they, there's no way to take it back yeah that's yeah. right that's <laughs> so, uh, that's the same with the maasai as well you mustn't cry out in pain at all and uh, and there have been other you know similarly brutal initiations uh julius caesar writes about uh the initiation of the uh, ghouls the young men of the ghoul tribes in uh, western europe and he said that they would put the aurochs or some very large bisons well he says only slightly smaller than an elephant but very large bisons into a pit and then the young men would have to go in and kill the bisons and obviously many of them were killed in the process wow but um yeah and i think that probably the most interesting ritual when we're talking about these sort of violent initiations of young men is uh, there was a, a ritual uh among the spartans uh and it was held every every year, and the, the sort of boys who were becoming men would have to go and steal cheese cheeses from an altar um, at a particular temple. <laughs> and uh, while they were stealing the cheeses, they would be whipped, and some and some of them would be whipped so hard that they would end up dying of their wounds. But their parents would sort of egg them on, will them on to steal the cheeses. And I think there's kind of a kind of a, a couple of interesting things about that. You know, one is your parents are willing you on to endure this sort of pain and suffering, uh, which is just about the opposite of what we see today, of course. And um, and the other yeah, thing, yeah, that's is interesting. Idea, that's I hadn't thought about that. That that is interesting. That it's, yeah, so, it's so it's so opposed to how 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 I guess parenting is now. Oh yeah, definitely. And in, in our culture as a whole, which is all about you know protecting people, and you know, what were you hurt by that word? And words of violence and this kind of thing. Well, you know, not really. But um, yeah, and I think the other thing is, you know, usually in in a temple, there's an altar, and you you lay a sacrifice on it. You know, you would sacrifice the cheese to the goddess or the wine or the corn or whatever it may be but here they're stealing it from the altar and uh, in a way it's almost as if the god wants you to sort of defy them and you know, steal from him or her and uh to, to become this person of sort of ferocity who, who in a sense will embody that power and um become sort of godlike in themselves and I think, you know, in a certain sense, you know, initiation is becoming godlike. And I don't mean that in a sort of narcissistic, narcissistic sense where, um, you know, you um, become egotistical and say that you are perfect when you're not, or you become incredibly vain. Um, definitely the opposite of that. Rather, you know, by becoming godlike, I mean, someone who isn't necessarily concerned by all of the foolishness of the 
of the contemporary age or the age they live in or the sort of fashions of the day but really are rooted in the idea of there being something transcendent and trying to sort of embody that that transcendent ideal but obviously among you know spartan young men it was you know becoming becoming strong and fierce and a, and a warrior and brave and um facing death for um a lot of ways in which they would do that uh, of course there may be other ways but um yeah so in a sense you know becoming uh being initiated is is this setting you on a path to where you kind of Im- embody the the sacred and in a sense that is embodying mm-hmm. the archetypal right so you know if if you're i'm not saying that you know one should not um one should be sort of copying stereotypes at all but the idea is of course to become more archetypal right so um, you know, as a man, you want to be strong, fierce, you want to be intelligent as well. But, you know, certainly if you look in, you know, mythology, you find that uh, the, the men are sort of uh, fierce and warriors and fighting the dragon, whereas the, the woman is the sort of the psychic, the sorceress, the one who speaks speaks with the female deities to, you know, smooth the oceans to make their passage to this other world uh, safer or whatever it may be. And that's the, these two figures kind of work together. So there are archetypes and I think the initiation is becoming that archetype. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, there is the shaman who may be a man who dresses in a, a woman's body and by becoming both male and female embodies nature and transgresses against it. And thus has sort of supernatural powers because, you know, he or she is somewhere between the material world and the gods but but you know that's a sort of more specialist initiation you know most people were not shamans that's a you know uh, a minority a tiny mm-hmm. minority uh, and that would be a type of initiation and that was that would be an initiation but for most people it would be sort of more embodying the sort of archetypal you know male or female but um so I, I, as opposed to being in a magical order that's a that's a good question because of course there are initiations in uh magical orders i don't know if at the time when you were in the iot whether there was a set set type of initiation there, it, there, there never was i yeah, i, I initiate i ran initiations for tons of people and yeah um because i was you know holding magister temple and yeah. we always customized it to the actual person right. there was no like masonic yeah. Thing. It was, we got to know somebody, we, you know, had a sense of who they were and where their psychological blocks were. Right. And then the initiation would usually involve some type of confrontation with uh, what was yeah. holding them back. Um, and uh, that, that I think is, uh, is very rare uh, to have yeah. that. Uh, very personal in a way. I don't think that yeah. type of thing could maybe even be possible now because it's such a different cultural climate and, and people are yeah. so, you know, on it's, edge about everything all the time. That's, that's right. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think, you know, to, you know, to have someone confront their, you know, weaknesses or their demons, you know, would probably lead to charges of abuse. Yeah, it could. And, and so, um, I don't envy anyone trying to do that type of thing. Now, maybe it's a lost thing or, or, or yeah. maybe it just becomes occulted again. Um, yes. Uh, yeah. but yeah, it's interesting. You're talking about like initiation into young adulthood and it, and some of these brutal initiations. It made me think of, uh, street gangs, 
you know, where, right, the, where yeah, the initiation there can be anything, you know, getting jumped in or it's like everyone yeah. stands around you and beats the hell out of you, which is yeah. basically, you know, similar, I suppose, or to, you know, having to, in more extreme circumstances, having to kill somebody or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, That's but right. It also made, and, but it's interesting that you kind of make a differentiation between types of initiation, which I want to kind of look at. I mean, there's lots of ones that came up. I, uh, uh, but the first one that you point out is the, kind of the, the difference between the initiation into adulthood and initiation into shamanism or magic, which is totally yeah. different, very rare. Uh, although yeah. luckily now people have invented festivals. So everyone who goes to a festival and does uh, ketamine can be a shaman. Uh, so they right. sorted that one out. But, uh, in, you know, in reality, even within magical orders, people who are actually, I would say, capital S magicians or shamans is very low. Most people yeah. are kind of playing the kind of social pre game that's kind of like, you know, I'll pretend you have magic powers if you pretend I have magical powers, which is just a total... Right. Um, is a non-starter, but I remember even yeah. like, you like even read about Crowley being in the golden dawn and he was interested in Mathers as this kind of larger than life ego or father figure, maybe right. yeah. patterning his adult persona after this person. But it seemed like there was only one person at least available to Crowley that was actually doing magic, which was, who was Alan Bennett, who I'm, right. I'm is a fascinating individual who ended up yeah. becoming the person that brought Buddhism to England. Uh, and that that's where Crowley actually did his learning, but it wouldn't have right. been possible to find that person outside of a magical order. But I think that making yeah. the point that initiation into a magical order in no way whatsoever guarantees uh, some type of supernatural benefit or becoming a shaman. I mean, I, I really do think that it's a born, you kind of have to be born that way. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. And, and obviously in, with shamans and also with, uh, um, someone who becomes a Sufi master as well, often these initiations begin in dreams or with shamans with, you know, some kind of sickness as well. And, um, you know, it's, I mean, it's interesting. I wrote about this in, um, I think in my last book that, you know, if you look at a lot of very famous people, or if you look at um, people who are genuinely sort of master their field, um, they often have periods in their childhood either of extreme poverty or extreme illness where they nearly die. And um, it's almost like a sort of a shamanic initiation is pushing these people um, to become creative individuals, whether that's creative in the world of fine art or in acting or being an author or whatever it may be. So, you know, I can definitely see from that that, you know, that sort of experience in a tribal setting is going to push you into being some kind of shaman type figure, but it's, it's, it's definitely unusual for sure. Yeah. I mean, it seems to me that, you know, life is an initiator and life will initiate you whether you like yes, it or not. Well, and, and yeah. I, I think, um, uh, and that's a mysterious process and it's different for, yeah. but I think that one of the things about going through a magical order is you're kind of signaling that you, you want to go through that process. Um, right. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I was, I mean, like, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's the thing, right? Life is kind of brutal. It's going to end in death. You know, you have to face, you know, sickness or poverty or, uh, you know, your 
you know, loved one dying or whatever it might be. But um, yeah, that those things somehow initiate you, right? If you have the right frame of mind. And, you know, I think up until relatively recently, most people had the right frame of mind that they understood that life was brutal and short and, you know, they could, whether, whether the religion was good or not, they at least had some sense of the sacred and there was something beyond this world. So, you know, that it wasn't just this sort of misery, they could kind of transcend it in a way. But uh, I think increasingly over the last two decades, there's a, a kind of anti-initiatic um, mindset where, you know, we mustn't let anybody experience any kind of suffering at all and suffering is is in the mind of course right so i mean you there are people who have horrible things happen but don't suffer and other people who have you know uh, live very comfortable and spoiled lives who are suffering terribly emotionally because Mm -hmm. they just don't know how to cope with the slightest little thing and there's always going to be something that's not quite right so i've I've met several people who've just you know gone through unbelievable abuses as children yeah. uh, and not like somebody said a word i mean just like you know the the type of stuff that turns your hair white and yeah. and yet they're totally positive wonderful yeah. people i mean it's like that really is interest that maybe that is there's an initiatory message there in a way in the sense yeah, o- only in the sure. sense only in the sense that you know life is what you make it. It's like, you're going to go through extreme experiences one way or the other. You can't hide from life, but you do have control over how you interpret and react to things. And, you know, it's fascinating how one person can go through, um, you know, a traumatic event and what it means to them is the world is awful. The world is, you know, the, you know, it is uh, is evil. Yeah. That, that there's no hope, and another person can go through the same or a similar event, and you know the meaning they take out of it is that they can help people who've gone through the same thing, or or life is yeah, so precious right. because it's so short, or a new appreciation for non traumatic experience, yeah. and that's totally in the mind of the yeah the person. You know, and I'm, yeah. I'm not one of these new age people that says you ta- you know you you create your own experiences and if you go through something bad it's because you manifested it so you know i think that's silly but yeah um you do always have control over your reactions to things yeah definitely definitely and you know even further than that you know not only do some people who have you know terrible upbringings you know turn out to be wonderful people are very positive uh in their you know approach to life but you know some people who make life as comfortable as they can for themselves and never take risks and, and really have a pretty easy life by most people's standards, you know, end up becoming extremely resentful and angry. And, um, you know, and it's, I mean, you can see the anger today among yeah. uh, affluent, affluent young people. Yeah. I, I'm sure most, most of them do not appear to be the type of people who had a tough upbringing. So. No. And, and I, I, it's such an interesting comment that you made that it's kind of like a counter or anti-initiatory thing where it's like, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like if you haven't been through hardship, it's, you almost have to create it for yourself to go yeah, through that's it. Right. And if yeah. there's no hardship in the environment, then, you know, you're going to decide that somebody said a word to you or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the resentment, uh, the level of resentment now it goes beyond 
talking about cancel culture or something like that. I mean, the level of just palpable resentment in people right now is maybe it's just getting older, but it feels, uh, you know, like in the eighties and nineties, people were like counterculture and against the system and all this, but they didn't have this like just pure bitter resentment at life that seems to be so common now. And I I don't know if you have thoughts on that or particularly in relation to this idea of having to, you know, the, the initiation into adulthood that people are not undergoing perhaps. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, your comment about if you don't suffer, you kind of have to create your own suffering, or at least you have to create your own, um, your own sort of extremely challenging experience. Right. And in a way that that is what initiatic orders do, whether it's, you know, a, a chaos magic order, if it's doing it properly or Freemasonry or some kind of, you know, initiatic group from, you know, a, in a tribe somewhere, they, they create some traumatic experience, right? Um, at least, you know, even in Freemasonry, at least symbolically, right? A lot of people would find that kind of frightening, especially mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Or and, and even if you go and think about subcultures as well, you know, why do people keep getting more tattoos? They kind of get addicted to that pain, right? Mm-hmm. Having to control the pain of being tattooed. And that becomes a kind of an initiatic experience. And, you know, if you look at tattoo uh, journals from 20 years ago, there's a lot of about, you know, sort of new age spirituality in there. It's all sort of intertwined in a way because uh, they are trying to create some kind of authentic kind of pagan or tribal initiation for the modern age. Mm. But uh, yeah, sorry, what was the second question you had? What was it? Oh, just, just kind of talking about oh, the, resentment. The, the resentment and bitterness and and yeah you know and yet at the same time like even within you know my live lifetime the quality of human existence has like improved so much in so many fundamental yeah. ways i mean there's lots that's falling apart there's tons that is wrong with the world don't get me wrong yeah. i mean it's like i see that too but it's like if you really take a step back it's like we live in the golden age. It's like we live in a time of magic, yeah. literally, where with through technology, where anything that you want yeah, to do, right. you can, you know, it's not going to be given to you, but you have the resources yeah. to educate yourself and find it. And it's Definitely. you know, life is phenomenal yeah. right now, and yet people are just you know, and and it's it, it is, it's tough to see. And I'm obviously not discounting people's experience lived experiences i i wouldn't do that but it's tough to like travel in a place like india where you're seeing infants die on the ground and then you come back here and people are miserable because you know they they didn't get you know their car got scratched or something like that or i I don't know it's that's tough yeah that's right yeah and actually you mentioned about the uh, subculture of the previous century and i think you know what what has definitely happened over the last say 15 years maybe 20 years uh, which is totally the opposite of subculture prior to that you know pe- people knew and you know someone who's involved in all sorts of subcultures you know if, if you dress differently if you if you kind of shook a fist at the system and showed that you were against it because you were a, a punk or a goth or, or whatever it was or a hippie uh, you knew you were going to get um threatened mm-hmm. with physical violence all the time and you might be killed yeah. You know, yeah, you might be yeah. killed. That definitely, that definitely, particularly in America and the South, you know. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, even in England, it was, uh, it was mm. pretty, 
pretty bad as well. I didn't see anyone killed, but, you know, definitely there was a lot of experiences with, you know, people being threatened with broken bottles or with knives. And, and this was a, a very regular occurrence. And, um, you know, and I think that the, but the difference in a way was, well, first of all, it kind of maybe it toughened you up a little bit, but, but um, you know, also it was, no one thought that society should accept them. Uh, maybe people thought they shouldn't be threatened with violence, I'm sure. But they also felt like, sure, I am against society. And, um, and you know, no one would think, well, and, and society should respect me and my society should say that I'm a good guy and I'm doing the right thing and try and support me. You kind of knew, right, that, no, I'm, I'm giving the middle finger to society, so society is not going to like me. Whereas today, I feel, I feel like people rebel against society and then get upset when they don't get society's approval. Mm. And it's kind of, you can't really have it both ways. And, um, you know, if you're going to be weird and different, I think that, you know, that's fine and that's cool. <laughs> but you, you can't expect mainstream society to support you, really, because you're rebelling against that. Right. Yeah. Well, one of the things about, and I, I certainly went through that where it's funny you say that because I mean, I definitely, I did have that reaction where a little bit, not consciously it's, I mean, it's kind of embarrassing yeah. to talk about, but I was like, you know, I did go as far out as possible off the deep end. And then I was like, you know, yeah. why, do, why does no one care? Even now? I mean, it's like I talk <laughs> about magic and, you know, for a few thousand people and, and hopefully those people get, get something out of it. Um, yeah, but sure. it's not like I'm on Oprah, you know, maybe someday. No, yeah. Yeah. But you know, and, <laughs> but one, one of the things, the thing, one thing I want to talk about is, you know, initiation just means to begin something sure. and we're kind of talking yeah. about the initiation into a young adulthood, but there's tons mm -hmm. of initiations throughout life, you know, and, and sometimes yeah. it could be like marriage or childbearing or mm -hmm. the death of parents or, uh, yeah. In some ways, it could be initiation. You know, something happens to you, like a like suffering, perhaps that now you understand um, what other people you're initiated into that suffering that other people have experienced. I was watching yeah. um, an interview with Nick Cave last night, which was just great, and it was funny because he, he somebody asked him, "How do you rebel now?" as opposed to being right. a punk in the '80s, and he said, "Be conservative and go to church." Which was right. pretty funny, and then he said, yeah. like he said, uh, he tells people that he's religious, not spiritual, just to wind them up. Which right. I, that was hilarious, also. Yeah. But he said, um, he said, uh, you know, very famously and very tragically, uh, a few years ago, he lost his son. His fifteen-year-old oh, son was, is he's fifteen, and he was on acid, and he walked off a cliff with his friends oh, uh, without realizing it and died. And, and uh, that's. I don't think there's maybe anything worse than uh, children dying before their parents. No, it's yeah. uh, nobody wants that. And, and he talks about, and he did two albums about it, which are at wow. least two albums, which are just the, um, you know, I think among the greatest uh, art made in the last possibly ever with songwriting. It's just, mm -hmm. it's just they're almost too raw to listen to. Um, but, he kind of opened up to the world to express what he was going through. And he said that, um, over time people started writing him letters saying not that, you know, not necessarily commiserating, but saying, you know, this happened to me and, 
in that he he was saying it's like he came to understand humanity in a new way in a completely new yeah. way and respect humanity as before he was not not very as he was saying self more self-absorbed uh, right, and have this sure. respect for the suffering that everyone goes through and and what he said that made me think of it in this context was that he felt that that experience completed him as a person um, mm, and it's obviously wow. nobody wants to go through that but that he was speaking of yeah. it as if it was also an, an initiation it's like that that was his completion as a person and what what, yeah. he, what he meant by that i you know i don't i, I can't guess at but it's interesting yeah definitely absolutely yeah i, I mean it is it's true yeah if we go through life you know we do have these things which kind of initiate us into a new understanding for sure and a deeper one and usually they're not always the nicest of experiences i mean i guess sometimes they are i mean sure having a, a child must be you know, but um yeah 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 and that's kind of you know i've gone through many times in my life uh, periods where just literally everything's taken away from me. And then I'm, yeah. I, and then I end up in a completely different life with new people in my life with no reference points to the old life. Uh, I went right. through one recently. Um, and those are initi initiations or crossings of abysses. Yeah. And I think that yeah. I, I suspect that if I wasn't a magician, I probably would not go through that type of thing so yeah. intensely, or maybe not, I don't know. But, uh, there is something about engaging i don't know i want to watch what i say but I, I guess what i'm trying to say is like life will tear you down and build you back up yeah definitely yeah definitely absolutely yeah when you when you said that if you were a magician maybe you wouldn't go through that i was actually thinking that maybe you would but maybe you wouldn't come out of it and there might be another way of looking at it mm. because you know most people experience some kind of tragedy at some point yeah but, yeah uh, that's why i was saying you yeah. know maybe i'm not choosing my words correctly one thing that magic does do though is it gives you the ability to kind of create a mythological framework around what you're going through which can be helpful yeah, that's right yeah well, it gives you a different frame of reference, right? And it 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 does turn you back to these myth, myths uh, of um, you know the underworld or you know death or heroic struggle against the dragon or whatever it may be. But you know, it, it, at least it brings you out of the sort of prison of the moment when uh, when things are going very very wrong and, and like you i've definitely had experiences like that uh, many of them especially being a foreigner <laughs> oh. half my life almost uh, in terms of uh, coming to the u.s yeah the u.s and i lived in canada for three years as well and they weren't always uh they were some of the some of those years were pretty tough to say the least was that but, uh, wh uh, where was that in canada by the way uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, which is about two and a half hours north of New York, and it's it's, actually, it's a very very small town. I mean, it, technically, it, it's called a city, but uh, anyone who's lived in New York or London would not regard it as a city. But um, yeah, I mean, it's very nice. It's just uh, it's kind of difficult to live there. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. I was, like one of my most brutal initiatory periods involved losing everything and ending up in suburban right. Vancouver in Canada through a oh, series of events. <laughs> so you made me think of that. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, it's, it sounds like we, we've been on a similar trajectory. Uh, I think so. I mean, yeah. you know, and there, there is, there is something to be said there about 
the idea of a magical current, you know, yeah. is what we were engaged in the same one. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, when you think about Crowley as well, it's sort of blown all over the world, really. It wasn't at yeah, a time when people weren't really doing that as well. I weren't really. I mean, people people definitely traveled more than we, we think, especially in antiquity. But, mm. you know, it was that during Crowley's lifetime, uh, travel wasn't wasn't that common. And certainly was very uncommon to go to all the places he went to. He even went to Canada as well, by the way. So, yeah, I mean, he was in the middle. Crowley, as always, is is a, is a fascinating case. Um, you know, in, yeah. in that he kind of patterned himself after Richard Burton and, and wanted right. the travel writer yeah. wanted to kind of be that, and he really did live this huge, larger than life um, existence. And you know, went through many, many times where he lost everything and was built yeah, back up right. a, a lot. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah, uh, and you know, he he's. What what can you say about that? But um, there definitely does seem to be something about like that about the magical current. I mean, like I've definitely, yeah, I can't count how many people I've been and how many places I've lived, and it wasn't like necessarily as dramatic as you know walking through Tunisia in a robe or something like that, like <laughs> Crowley. But you know, it's just like I've been. I, I can't. I've lost track of how many people I've been, and it's been interesting right. for me. I was yeah. talking about this with Carl Abramson. I mean, it's like moving out of cities and kind of going through this kind of period of, uh, you know, we went through lockdown where you can't go out. And then in, in, yeah. I've kind of, I, I, I like that actually. It's like not, not of it. Someone's forcing it on me, but you know, I've kind of been in that mode permanently and you know, I've moved and I'm putting kind of putting a, my life back together and I'm yeah. kind of getting a chance to think back and try to just try to begin correlating all the people that I've been. Right. Um, yeah. And totally. And it's, it's interesting. It's like, that that's never, there's never been like, a, I've never made like a full accounting of how does this all add up? You know? So this is interesting. Yeah. Um, trying to assemble some type of master, uh, personality out of it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, it's uh, definitely been similar for me. But I think, you know, um, some of the more interesting people um, in history, and maybe the, maybe the, the sort of great people or, or people who break some kind of boundary, you know, whether it's large or small, you know, are often very contradictory. Oh, yeah, I think, I think part of part of it, part of life is trying to resolve those contradictions, or maybe trying to resolve them gives you a kind of energy a kind of forward momentum um which might be what you need to go through these experiences and come out the other side yeah well one of the one of the things about quote-unquote initiation in a magical sense is and crowley talks about this a lot uh that you're trying to get as much of an experience of the universe and human life as possible um yeah you're trying to experience everything and you can't experience everything as a stable personality. I don't mean stable as like an unstable right. person, unstable person. I mean, sure. if you change your personality or careers or focus or relationships, or you, you travel a lot is usually the best, best way to do it. Then you, yeah. you get to experience life through many more angles and positions. And if you're just shuttered into <laughs> one identity that you're trying with all of your might to prop up and defend against the world, like yeah. so many people seem to be doing now, um, then you're you're shutting yourself off from expansion. 
Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And I think especially in our time, which is a time of rapid change, that's probably incredibly dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, if anything, I really um, am very grateful for going through, you know, the chaos, chaos current, et cetera, because it prepared me for dealing with life as it is now. It's like, you know, it's like when things happen and it's like, oh, you have to give up everything and stay in lockdown. It's like, I'm not saying that's easy for me, but I have contact. Like, you know, for me, shedding a personality and developing a new one is a practice thing. Um, right. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. Hmm. So do you have let's go back to the idea of counter initiation, because you, you talked sure. about and or anti-initiatory attitude. And I thought that was such an interesting comment that I want to spend more time on it. It immediately made me think of um, Rene Ganon. Right, right. Talking about the counter-initiation. You know, there's kind of like this this current in society that pretends to be Mm -hmm. initiatory, pretends to be um, uh, rebellious perhaps, but is really just kind of dragging people is split is splitting people apart, dragging them down into, um, l- uh, making them less integrated as people ultimately mm-hmm. and ending in chaos yeah. as opposed to some type of true initiation, which should develop a, a, a whole human being. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought that that was a pretty shocking book for me to read. So anyways, that's just, that, that's kind of the context yeah. I was thinking about your comment in, but maybe say more about what you were thinking there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it really, it was just this idea of, um, uh, you know, initiation really, well, partly preparing us for life, but also turning our minds towards what, what is beyond the material world to, towards the eternal and the sacred and maybe what is recurring, uh, throughout the millennia. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, un- unfortunately there is a very, uh, sort of counter-initiatic or anti-initiatic, um, attitude in our day and age, you know, that, that no one must experience anything that makes them uncomfortable. And I think even you could just, just say that that seems to be the prevailing mm-hmm. sentiment of, uh, the contemporary West that, you know, no one must, no one must experience anything that makes them uncomfortable, even if it is a, a word and, um, initiation is fundamentally uh, at the very least being uncomfortable. It's about, you mm-hmm. know, putting or being put in some kind of entirely alien foreign environment that is, uh, or, or that is very often sort of threatening or dark or, um, would seem, uh, plausibly to lead to some bad end, you know, even, you know, whether, whether it's, you know, having somebody holding a, 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 a ritual dagger to your chest or something like that. And you're wondering how, who this person is and the dark room you're in, um, it can be obviously very intimidating, but, uh, you know, experiencing the unknown and, you know, experiencing one's mortality, uh, and experiencing something that seems kind of threatening. Uh, and in the case of the Maasai is actually, uh, and a similar tribes is, you know, it can be very, uh, literally physically, extremely painful, um, or mentally challenging, you know, it's the exact opposite mindset of, you know, we can't, can't possibly ask someone to read this, say, you know, classic book, um, on their, you know, 
on their master in their master's degree because it has a word in it that might upset them. Yeah, and we must make sure that everybody is comfortable. And I think, you know, obviously part, partly that is because, you know, everybody is a is a client, everybody is a customer, you mm-hmm. know, um, mm-hmm. you know, edu- education is very expensive. So, you know, universities uh, want to do this for many reasons, of course, but what one of one clearly is that the students are customers and you know if our customers say they don't want to read this book we can't really make them because we're we're going to get them you know hundred thousand dollars in debt by the end of it mm-hmm. and so that's certainly one thing but you know, it's also seeped into the broader world as well that you know we can't possibly expect anybody to you know experience anything that would make them uncomfortable but you know life life for the last 500,000 years of human beings has been entirely uncomfortable. But because of that, people did look to the sacred and had hope in the future and had hope in something beyond this world. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think also, even before, you know, college, it's like kids now are raised in this totally different way in this like sterilized, sanitized environment where all their information is monitored. They're driven around in these kind of like, large SUVs uh, that are like tanks. Yeah. And, like, and I understand, I mean, because the reality is like the the world is very dangerous or America is very mm-hmm. dangerous for children. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like school shootings could happen. It's like, it's not like there's things that kids need to be, need to be protected from or that there's right. not things that they need to be protected from. It's like the world is actually very dangerous in some ways now, mm-hmm. but you know, I th- and it, which is a shame, uh, you know, but I, I think back and it's like, even growing up, you know, you know, 30 years ago, whatever, uh, you know, we were constantly getting into trouble Our kids would go out and play yeah. and hurt themselves and get into fights. Yeah. And then when you're a teenager, you're just, you know, doing drugs and going, getting right. into terrible situations and, and exper- yeah. you know, experimenting in all these ways. And without that, I feel like you're not prepared for life. And no, then you right. get to university and, you know, somebody said a word and, yeah. um, it's like, it's so, it's so unhealthy. I mean, even when I think about throughout my life, every time that I've gone through something awful, I've come out stronger on the other end. And it's not just going, that's not just in theory, you know, it's not just like suffering makes you strong. Cause I don't think that's necessarily the case. It's mm-hmm. like when you go through when, when you experience things like that, you develop antibodies to it and you know yeah, how to handle right. it and you can coach and guide other people who are going through it. But if yeah, you never have it. the experience, then everyone's just, everyone just has a wide open immune system. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, you know, I guess in the past, you know, let's say 500 years ago, just to pick a time, you know, I guess there were, there were, you, you could have an initiation that, that wasn't going through this sort of chaos where you, you know, you you joined a, a crafts guild, and then you followed the example of the other workers and the master. And your dad taught you how to drink beer properly and how to you know speak to women or whatever it was. But you know, in this day and age of ours, in which there's extremely rapid change, and it's a much more chaotic environment, and we barely have a nuclear family, and you yeah. don't know the names of your neighbors. Right. And one one second. Every, one, sorry, one second. I've got a crying sure. dog. I'll be right back. No worries. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Speaking of uh, suffering and, and child rearing, it's like my, my dog just 
looks at his toy box crying uh at like like it's the end of the world until i go get his toys for him <laughs> so no sorry worries. uh you were talking about yeah. the, the nuclear family and and so forth yeah and i'm sure you know 500 years ago you could have an initiation without all this you know chaos and you know drug taking and you know because there were examples and um vocations lasted a lifetime you know you think about the building of the cathedrals they took several generations to build so you could you know you could start when you were 14 or 15 or younger maybe 12 whatever it was and then you know die at 50 and um you know, it still wouldn't be finished, but you know, you could, you could, um, you know, as a young person, you could learn from, the, you know, the other men of the village or the other women of the village. You know, what what were they doing in their crafts or guilds or skill, and how did they treat other people, and how what did they think of life? So you had this sort of examples to live by. Well, I'm sure they, they weren't all good, but you know, some of them would have been. But today in our, you know, our day and age of rapid change where in, you know, whole industries are decimated and new industries appear and new technology we've never heard of. And, you know, this constant change and maybe this sort of slightly dubious form of initiation of, you know, taking drugs when you're young and doing crazy things. And I'm certainly not endorsing it, but maybe, you know, it does, you know, as bad as, as bad as it is, it kind of, you know, does provide you with those antibody antibodies, as you say, for for a, for a world that is seemingly more and more strange and chaotic. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. The comment about drugs. I mean, I, I think that you know, obviously I'm not endorsing it either, and it's not no. the ideal way to do anything. Uh, no, but I just as the broader point that. I think young people, if they don't have access to some initiatory structure, will find or make one. And usually that's in very yeah. crude ways. Yeah, I I, uh, I don't know. I, I For the longest time, I kind of like didn't get wrapped up in the whole like dialogue around cancel culture or, or uh, right. anything like that. Because I thought a lot of it was just exaggeration by the right wing. But right. Uh, it's really not. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's unfortunate, and you know, recent recently, I, actually today, I saw you know a left wing um, female presenter is being attacked because she's not sufficiently, um, you know, sufficiently on board with the latest issue, and it's like, and, you know, she's been around for like twenty years as well, and it's it's kind of crazy that this would happen. I mean, it, it it it's obviously very much reminiscent of Christianity when people would argue. You know about something ridiculous. I don't know if people really argued about whether, how many pin, how many uh, angels you could get on the the head of a pin, but you know it is that kind of purity spiral, obviously, and that kind of religious commitment to it. But but uh, you know people people should be whatever they want to be, obviously. But I think the strange thing is today that people people become something. And they seem to be unhappy with with the world as a result, whether that's you know the, their sexuality or or you know they become involved in some subculture. And it, you know, for example, paganism. You know, I saw someone recently posting online they've been a pagan for three weeks or whatever, and they're posting online that they've been oppressed for two thousand years by Christianity. And you know, <laughs> well, that's need... nothing. That's nothing new. People used to do that all the time, also. <laughs> Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, that was a new thing. Okay. No, not, well, not maybe a it's new not thing. so new. 
Um, yeah. yeah, people would get into, you know, read a book on witchcraft at the mall and then say like, you know, we are, we are the descendants of the, the witches you couldn't burn or something like that. Oh, right. The, the burning yeah, times. Um, but, the, but, you know, bringing this back to initiation, I think one thing that's kind of interesting is that, you know, there's no sense of sort of ecstasy or transcendence. There's no sort of, yeah, nothing ecstatic about it. I mean, at least if you look back at, you know, the sort of acid house days, people people were trying to have these, you know, ecstatic experiences or, or, the, or the hippies were trying to have these yeah. sort of transcendental, transcendental experiences with LSD. Um, you know, maybe goths were in their own way. Yeah, absolutely. Think, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that sort of ec ecstatic experience seems to have completely filtered out of Western society. And in, in a sense, that's a very Protestant, Protestant attitude, right? The, you know, the, the Catholics had this idea of, you know, the, the you know, the, the, the glory of, um, you know, of, uh, uh, rising after death and you know but but the protestants focused on on the cross itself you know all you know uh, just you know sort of nothing nothing after i mean yes technically there was something after the cross but it was focused very much on this sort of dying it wasn't so much on the resurrection you know and sort of sackcloth and ashes and sort of not really stoic but sort of slightly depressed maybe it went with the gray weather of these protestant countries i don't know but you know there was no sort of ecstasy with it um you know it's all kind of very not morbid but very i don't know matter of fact in a way yeah. well uh, also was it, go ahead sorry it, whereas at least you know at least with catholicism you can see these sort of wild parades where they're holding up madonna and she's like covered in you know a couple of you know couple of hundred flowers or whatever and it's it's all, it's all very you know colorful and sort of wild in a way and obviously if you go back to pagan times it's you know bacchic revels and this kind of thing and uh you know shamans wanting to experience some kind of you know tr ecstatic trance or whatever but you know with protestantism you do get this focus on you know the the the, the, the cross the, the kind of misery the woe the woe and um, yeah, that seems to be very much uh, our society today. Which you know, you know, as, as much as um, you know, people say that they are not Christian, they've uh, absolutely adopted mm. the the kind of empty, the empty shell that the Christianity has left behind, and kind of fit yeah. themselves into it. So. Absolutely, and, and I think that you know, people have replicated. You know, I I really feel about you know, the current cultural moment, people have replicated all of the worst parts of Christianity and completely yeah. discarded the best ones. Cause as much, yeah. uh, you know, heat as Christianity comes under, it's like, it's also a very, prof it can be a very profoundly maturing thing and, and maturing religion. And I don't mean like crazy yeah. evangelical mega churches, but you know, a kind of initiatory experience into what is meant by the figure of Christ, what is meant by suffering undertaken for others, uh, yeah. you know, taking it seriously. Um, but you know, it's like the, the culture now, like, yeah, it has all these elements of judging your neighbors, you know, or the people in the right. other church or people who are not part of your church, uh, uh, or, you know, cru crusading against people or, uh, witch burning It has all of that, but it doesn't have mercy yeah. or forgiveness at all. What is that? I mean, you can't have life. You cannot have human existence without mercy or forgiveness because we all make sometimes terrible mistakes. You know, it's like you, yeah, you have yeah. to. Um, 
Yeah, you know, or right. or we yeah. just do something when we're in a bad state where we're really stressed mm. out or something, yeah. and and then it's, uh, you know, everyone goes through that, and that's and the basis of compassion is yeah understanding that other people uh, suffer just as much as you or more. And yeah, that's right. there's none of that now. There's no, 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 no forgiveness. And, and I think that that is unbelievable. I mean, people talk, you know, people used to talk about, um, you know, evangelical Christianity and certainly yeah. uh, in, in the nineties and things like that, it was seen as the enemy and all of that. And, right. you know, living in Texas, it's like evangelicals are, yeah. <laughs> there's something else, but you know, I think that this thing that's being, I, I'm afraid just getting started, this kind of like yeah. I, this destruction of everything. It reminds me of like the iconoclast or something like that. Mm-hmm. There's a destruction yeah. and tearing down of everything beautiful uh, in the yeah. name of some purity spiral. I think that we haven't even begun to understand how bad that is, how and yeah, how it sure. will have a chilling effect on art. It will make people unhealthy. It will oh, make definitely. people's even because, you know, it's like we're living in the midst of this unbelievable material uh, prosperity, yet everyone's yeah. miserable and not everyone, yeah. but it's like people are finding it's like people have been given information technology and they've just used it to find new ways to be unimaginably cruel to each other. And it is a religion. I think it's a religion of cruelty Uh, and it is a religion. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, in in regard to art, I think, you know, that is something that's different, right? Because, you know, in the, during the eighties, maybe uh, probably even well well into the nineties as well, you could make art that was completely against the system and that would upset people. Um, and you could definitely uh, make art that upset Christians. You should see some of my art from that period. <laughs> but, but, you know, and okay, people might tart tart, but that was the end of it, right? It, it wasn't like you were going to lose your job for it or anything like that. Whereas now, I think you'd have to be absolutely crazy to make art that really went against the prevailing sentiments of the time. It would be... <laughs> and that's terrible. You know? I mean, or yeah. I mean, that means artists can't do their job. They, well, they cannot. No, that's right. right. Yeah. All that you can do, I suppose, is make the equivalent of of like bland corporate art to put on an office wall. Uh, yeah, that, that's you know, yeah, and art. Well, and, art I, mm-hmm. and I think that's so ironic, right? Because it's all well, not always, but for the vast majority of the time, it's been it's been the sort of radical left that made all the art. And now it's now it's that side who says who says, "Oh, you can't make art because that, you know, that you you will have offended someone." It's and horrible, can, and and people, yeah. people are not able to be educated anymore. Uh, and no, that's right. Uh, that's right. I, I think we're just be we're just. I mean, hopefully it passes, but I don't know. I mean, if you look at history, yeah, yes, things can yes things come and go, but sometimes they can take several hundred years to go. And yeah, that's right. Um. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the interest, one of the interesting things about the West is we're always, we're not always, but we're, we get historical about something for about 10 or 15 years and then it's completely forgotten as if it never, right. never happened. Right. So, I mean, I, I would say that whatever we're historical about today, we'll, we won't even remember 15 years from now, but, <laughs> but we might be as hysterical about something else, yeah. which will be, you know, weird. <laughs> Yeah, horrible. it's just like it's this giant flood of, uh, you know, the the crowd is like this giant flood of locusts that will go from one thing to the next, yeah, you know, right. to, to yeah. devour and destroy, and then they're distracted yeah. by something else and they go over there. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's interesting too. I mean, talking about that in the context of chaos magic and things like that, I think that w- the thing that makes people vulnerable now is having a static identity. And, you know, if you have a static identity on the internet, then people can attack it. But if yeah. you're anonymous, then they can't. And so I think yeah. that, that, um, you know, people getting attached to building these online brands, like every person, you can't just be a human anymore. You have to be a brand, even starting from yeah. when you're like seven, you know, it's, and yeah. that, that has made people crazy. People should not have to bear that burden. Uh, and it's a mistake. That's right. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. But I'm actually spending a lot, lot less time on, on the internet just because for me, it feels like it's become like TV, maybe like public access TV of, of 30 years ago. It's, it's really a lot less interesting than it was 15, mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Absolutely. Now, so. Yeah. I mean, I feel like most of the internet now seems to be written by, um, you know, outsourced people in, in, uh, other countries. Yeah. Or it's just like, it's just, everything is clickbait. You can't, it's very hard, yeah. you know, Google, that's right. Google just turns up the equivalent of junk mail now. Yeah, um, that's right. And, you know, even today, and I, I listen to all kinds of things that are very, if you, if you saw what I listened to, you find it was all completely contradictory because I'm not listening to just one side and believing it. But, but you know, I was listening, uh, I did, just did a search for rune magic today on YouTube just to see what came up. And, um, you know, all the top videos are kind of attractive 22 year old women, which yeah. is okay, fine, but forget that the fact that they're women, you know, it's like no one is an expert 22 in anything. And, you know, but, uh, but, uh, but of course, an, an attractive twenty-two-year-old woman is going to get more likes and shares, especially when it's presented in a, in a very sort of, sort of friendly way of like, "Well, you can just do some rune magic, and it's really easy, and you can learn these signs." And they don't have this sort of deep mystery to them, really, you know, and, and nothing controversial. And uh, it's and so it's all this sort of whatever is the most sort of not family friendly, but. So maybe vanity friendly where you, you can just dip into things and it's all very light and the people are attractive, which is a bit like, you know, adverts for Coca-Cola or something like that in a way, right? You get the most attractive people. It's all very light. It's going to make you happy. There's no downside, nothing controversial. So it's kind of, kind of, yeah. So it's becoming very much like TV. I think I feel like you could, you could have these people on TV, honestly, and the same with their opinions. They're not. They're not going to say anything controversial. They're not going to, you know, they haven't read philosophy for 10 years and they haven't read deeply into religion or anything. So, or come to their own opinions. Yeah. No 22 year old has come to their own opinions. Yeah. I think that, that for me underlines how important books are and more, I've been thinking about this more now, now more than ever, because you know, for a while, I'd kind of fallen into this idea of, oh, you know, books are kind of going away. That sucks. But, you know, uh, at the same time, there's we can hoard PDFs and all of that. But um, the things are so noxious right now in terms of culture. I mean, like yeah. you probably saw this. They're re-editing Roald Dahl's books. They're re-editing the James right. Bond books to change them. It's like you can't like, yeah. you can't do that. I don't understand why people g- accept that. Uh, if you yeah. want a different book, write a new one. Don't destroy right. something that is, don't re-edit the work of an author who's now dead so that yeah. you can't get the original. I mean, even Crowley has been re-edited and um, sanitized sure. over time, uh, yeah. which most people are not aware of. Um, yeah. But then it's like, well, you can't, 
you can't do that. And I, I think that uh, that's why I'm thinking it's like, yeah, hang on to your books because yeah. they're going to be useful. They're going to be important, including like, you know, old textbooks, you know, before things were sanitized yeah. for, for political reasons. Um, because yeah, it might be the only way to maintain any connection with the truth, particularly now, because definitely. going forward, I don't know if you've played with chat GPT and all that. I have. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems clear to me, like from now on, everything's going to be written by, by that. Yes. That's and, right. Uh, even sure. authors who are putting their names on it are also going to be yeah. using it. And there's definitely, you know, the, the good thing about it is it's more of, it's more, it's a more effective form of search than Google, but right you know, it's like, we may be at this point where between that and cancellation and sensitivity readers, you know, every major publisher has a sensitivity reader now to yeah. sanitize something before it's out. And it's like self-censorship is the worst censorship. So yeah, that's right. Definitely. Um, you know, we're going, going off a cliff with all that. So it's just like, yeah, like keep, you know, keep buying books, keep hoarding them, particularly yeah. older ones before, people had to keep you know before the book burning squad came yeah that's right definitely yeah it is remarkable yeah what did you think of uh, chat gpt when you were taking a look at it yeah so i've i've, I've looked at both chat gpt and google's bard and um, you actually get quite different results but um uh yeah i mean they 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 produce really remarkable pretty generic content but when you think about it remarkable generic content is pretty much what most people want mm. so i mean if, you know what's tv if it's not if it's not you know sort of remarkable generic content you know mm. it's all the kind of same stuff right the same opinions the same everything but um yeah so and uh, you know naturally you know i had a a couple of magazines and I was sent an article written by <laughs> chat GBT a few weeks ago. And the, I would say the article was total rubbish actually, mm. but what's so troubling is that the, the, a person who is intelligent enough to write an article actually thought that that was a good enough article to send me. And it kind of tells me that although it's the, these uh, programs are predicted to reach a sort of a general intelligence level in a couple of years so that we won't know that we're talking to a computer. It will sound, it will think we're talking to human beings, but even if that doesn't happen, I, I would say that they're good enough to fool 80%, 90% of the population already. Yeah. The problem is though, they're full of lies. I mean, it's like, yeah, even like I've been using GPT to assist in coding and even with something as black and white or somewhat black and white as computer code that you think that that would be what an AI yeah. would be best at. It will just, I mean, the AI term for it is hallucinating. I mean, it will just wholesale make shit up <laughs> even for computer code that doesn't work. That is not nonsensical. And it might be slipping up subtly so that, you know, you, you, you get down a road three hours later and you realize it's led you down this pathway you've, you've thought it's been walking you through doing something but you realize wow. it's walking you towards this hallucinated thing that isn't real that then doesn't work wow and i saw a tweet today from an old colleague um a journalistic colleague who was saying that um you know in like the, what this means for journal it's the same thing for journalism it's like yes yeah. you know journalists are going to use gpt for everything now but yeah you know, it lies. And if they're too right. lazy to, you know, it's like either going to be people, you know, there's going to be just people sitting there fact checking 
AI. And yeah. uh, the thing, it's too dangerous. It's like, and people are going to be using it and um, following the advice of AI hallucinations. And they're going to forget what's real or not. I mean, it's like code is a, such a Definitely. good example because it's such a um, non-subjective thing. It either works right. or it doesn't. And even with yeah. code, it's like, yeah, I'll try to get it to help me write code, but then I have to fix its code. And if I didn't know how to code, I wouldn't know where it slipped up. You know, it's yeah. like, it's not just going to be a magic thing that helps you do whatever you do. Um, and I think that's, yeah, it's going to be weird. It's going to be weird yeah. for sure. But I mean, the danger there, like people worry about fake news now. I mean, the danger there is that not, you know, not the late terminators are going to come kill us all, but we're all going to be relying for context and information for things on this thing that is just hallucinating. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Yeah. Once, once you add, you know, images, fake images into that, yeah, the potential for creating real chaos is, yeah, it's definitely there. Do you have any thoughts on all that from kind of like a, a magical perspective? Um, well, I think it's interesting that we've, we've essentially, you know, ended up in a world where language is this really powerful thing. And obviously, you know, when you think about the, the very distant past, you know, language was always associated with magic, right? Like mm -hmm. Tehudi or Odin with the runes and, um, you know, sorceresses who are able to enchant with their words or uh, you know the word spell of course meaning both to write something out and uh, and to cast the enchantment on someone or something and uh, now we've sort of ended up in this world where where language is the ultimate reality and i think you know you kind of see this with um with uh people's identities right so these they are one thing and they say they're another, but because they say they're another, that's what they are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I think in a, in a way it's like we've passed through this world where the, the language was aligned to reality, right? So let's say that the shaman or the sorceress could, could create some, some, um, some effect in the world because the, the words were somehow aligned to reality and cause things to change in some way or another, let's say like healing, healing a person through some use of language or whatever. And then, and then language itself becomes a reality in the modern age. That is very magical in a way, you know, people are like throwing, throwing, throwing magical daggers at each other across the internet. Yeah, that's right. And language is really what matters. And, it, I, you know, it matters in sort of postmodernism, but it matters, you know, it matters in, in, in the internet world. You know, what someone says is more real than, than who they are or what, or, or the person that they're speaking about. And, and now we've gone into this world where it's just total language, just pure, pure language, and language is creating its own reality. And it's mm -hmm. almost like uh, this sort of leviathan of of language itself, right? Where this multi-headed hydra is just creating, creating reality out out of language, and uh, and, and somehow that that use of language 
not only creates a kind of reality, but creates the authority for the reality. So we either think this thing is real. So, you know, someone submits an article to me written by ChatGBT. It's a, lang- a large language program, but it's not very good. But he thinks it is because it was written by a program that that is basically just a program about language mm-hmm. and that has no actual contact with the reality really. Yeah. That's another very dangerous thing. It's like people are, they may not even realize they're doing it. They're going to start yeah. using, not just, not just using GPT or, or, you know, language models for things, but they're going to start using it as a reference point in oh, the sense sure, of yeah. judging like I'm just thinking of you know judging the, the in the same way that people use Google as a reference point where Google, yeah. Google is the arbiter of what's true or not, which is obviously yeah, right. not the case. But people, no. it's or Wikipedia, which anyone can edit. Yeah, and um, yeah. that's obviously not the case. But people use it as the gold standard. And I think I'm just thinking of your person who submitted to, an article to you. You know, if somebody who's a skilled writer can have their goalpost subtly moved as to what they expect good writing to be by GPT, then that's troubling. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's right. Because by the time I got to the second paragraph, I already decided that this article was getting thrown out. And then at the end, I, I thought it was written by chat GPT. And I just thought, you know, good, good grief, you know, that somebody would submit this. It would have been bad enough if it had been written by a person. But, but you know, it's because it was written by chat GPT, he was sort of blinded by the science of that. Yeah. So, well, people are writing whole, you know, people are just hustling by writing, having GPT write whole books that they're then putting on Amazon yeah. just to make a quick buck. Yeah, and it's just course, like, yeah. oh, that's not going to last forever. Well, maybe we should wrap up by kind of, I should ask you, like, how do you know, what's the way through this? I don't know if there's a way out of this, but what's the way through this? Because I'm not sure I have an answer for that. Yeah, well, it's going to be really difficult to know, really, as you know, over the next two to three years, these AI models become more and more integrated into business and into daily life. Um, Yeah, it's going to be difficult how to, to know how to navigate that in advance. But, but I think, you know, uh, definitely, you know, knowing history as as you say, read old history books, probably yeah. from a century ago, so you can get actual facts. Because yes. Yeah. Then yeah. They, 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 you know, they try to actually present what happened, not just what happened in a way that suits our political yeah. cause. Yeah, that's it's so sinister. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and um, you know, other than that, I think I would say you know, uh, but we have to start thinking about physical reality a lot more, you know, making the the body healthy, doing things in the real world, seeing friends offline, um, you know, eating decent food, Mm -hmm. you know, having some kind of actual community of people around you and, and, and getting back to the physical world as much as possible, actually, maybe, you know, making art in the physical world rather than on a computer. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That kind of thing. Getting back to you to the, what's human. Well, that sounds like the a good job for magicians to show people yeah, do some DIY definitely. culture. Yeah. Well, that was a great yeah. conversation, um, and so let's put a bookmark in it for now and, and sure. until the next time. I hope. Um, yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, where can people find out more about you and your books? Uh, they can go to angelmillar.com, dot com. A n g e l m i l l a r dot com. 
or they can check me out on uh, Inner Traditions as well. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you again. That was a great conversation. Thank you. It was great speaking with you. All right. Hope you really, really enjoyed that. I definitely had a lot of fun in that conversation. Meet us at magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E, my school for magic, meditation, and mysticism, where you can learn all the skills you need to unleash your true self. I will see you in class. And until next time, hang in there.